The biggest problem to solve here is actually the third-party management because there are no third-party management Hmm. um, companies for express car washes. Hello and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it. Hello and welcome back to Pillars of Wealth Creation. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. With me, excited to have Whitney Elkins Hutton. Whitney, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Appreciate you uh, being on the show. And Whitney is the Director of Investor Education at PassiveInvesting.com, co-author of the international number one bestseller, Resilient Women in Life and Business, host of the Passive Investing Made Simple and Multifamily Investor Nation YouTube shows and podcasts, and a partner in 800 million in real estate, um, all kinds of stuff, residential units, uh, mobile home parks, single family rental, assisted living, uh, car washes, uh, you name it, you guys uh, have done a lot uh, in 11 states and, and, um, and you've also flipped a bunch of stuff too. So you yeah, can do it all. You kind of do it possibly. all. Um, well, it was the evolution and process. Yeah. So, right. It yeah, didn't happen overnight. Didn't happen overnight. And some of those stages in our portfolio I've since, uh, grown out of <laughs> Yeah, moved on to the next thing. So, well, that's good. It's, it's always, I I have I want to talk a little bit about that to start us off because there's this uh, hey you got to really hyper focus on on what you're good at and you guys at the company don't just hyper focus on one thing it's not you're doing. 200 unit multifamily built in 1980. You know, that's what you hear people say. And I'm kind of the baby. I don't have the breadth of uh, passive investing and what they do, but we're the same. We own some retail, we own some industrial, we own mostly multifamily, but we own assisted living. Um, So we have a variety too. I want to talk about that the focus on one thing versus what passive investing has done and um, kind of your thoughts. Yeah. So there's what you read off, which is my personal portfolio. It's what my husband and I have built. And, you know, we've gone through that same journey uh, of evolution and what we care, want to have in our portfolio. But what we do at passiveinvesting.com, we're actually pretty hyper-focused. And, you know, uh, unlike what you see in a lot of um, private equity firms where you have like two or three managing partners and they're all three trying to hold down the business, multiple pillars of the business. We actually have our, our um, different verticals managed by a managing partner. And then we have our two founding partners that sit over the entire strategy of the business. So um, our managing partners in our self-storage space are able to focus on self-storage. Our managing partner in real estate debt she only focuses on the real estate that portion of the business. Car washes only focus. Um, Cameron only focuses on the car wash part of the business, and so we do have the best of both worlds, um, where people are able to be hyper focused in their particular niche, and then you know the two founding partners are able to coordinate the overall strategy of the company about that. Yep. So it's a company that is 
would you would you say the company is focused on it's it's on value add real estate right it's or it's on it's i mean you guys are focused on real estate um but each niche but i just want to recap each niche that you have has a partner involved in it that is focused on that niche specifically correct yeah in our you know we do look for value add strategies but we've moved away from the true, you know, right. traditional value add approach, and I think a lot of um, groups have done something similar, especially in the multifamily space. Um, you know, we're not looking for, you know, a big capex or deferred maintenance project. We're probably looking to add, uh, you know, look for that stabilized Class A asset in a Class A area um, or an up and coming Class A area that has you know, some other types of value add, maybe there's a lease up component to it or an expansion component. Um, but, you know, getting away from, you know, a lot of that deferred maintenance, capex, that obsolescence, um, right. that a lot of that, that, you know, honestly, you know, for, you know, five, six, seven years ran really well in the market, but now, you know, the cost of goods, <laughs> the, yeah. the compression, the cash flow, you know, really, you know, you're taking on a lot of risk um, with that type of development type strategy. Yeah, I agree. When you're coming into an asset and you're having to put all that money into it right now in this type of the market cycle, like you said, a lot of expenses are way up. Um, labor's a lot more difficult to find. So that's just adding a bigger risk element than maybe it was five, six years ago um, where there was labor was plentiful and materials weren't as in, uh, is in flux as they are right now. Uh, so let's talk about kind of what you specifically are doing. Um, why don't you, why don't you give our listeners a little bit more kind of about your background first, and then we can dive into what you're doing right now. Absolutely. Yeah. I started off in, um, 2002, I bought a house with a significant other and, uh, we were going to, you know, rehab the property and, you know, live together, right? Like that was, that was our, you know, start our lives together. Um, but about a month after buying the property, the relationship fell apart uh, everything was under my name, like everything, the mortgage, the utilities, everything. And then I, I panicked a little bit. I stuffed that house full of roommates. Uh, and, and I had no idea how to rehab a property and YouTube did not exist back then. So I had to learn things from a book, <laughs> um, go to classes at Home Depot, but, you know, completed the rehab on that property and 11 years later turned a profit. And it was actually after I sold the property that I realized that I actually hadn't been paying for any of my housing expenses as well. Mm. And that was kind of when the light bulb came on. I'm like, whoa, how many more times can I do this? I mean, I'm, I'm young, I'm single, you know, this, you know, I had to move for a job. So it even came to me tax-free. I was like, okay, let's, let's, let's keep, keep rolling with this strategy. So I did several more flips on my own. And then eventually my husband, my now husband, um, I've only had one husband. He's going to kill me if I said now husband. <laughs> anyways, um, have to clarify that, right? Um, anyways, <laughs> um, he joined me in my antics and um, we did several more projects together. Uh, but what we realized is we were really good at creating equity and that was fine. But we didn't have the cash flow. Like we had this dream of, you know, having checks coming in on a, you mm -hmm. know, monthly or quarterly basis. We could step away from our jobs and yeah. play in the mountains all day long. And that just wasn't happening. Um, yeah. If anything, we had another job flipping these homes. Yep. So 
we had to figure out how to hold on to these properties. And eventually a friend of ours pointed out, was like, why don't you put a renter in one of those properties? We were like, oh, that's genius. Hmm. Why don't we do that? <laughs> um, did that. It, 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 long story short, uh, you know, you can't always take your flip houses you flip and make them good buy and hold properties. So we had to go back to the drawing board and learn how to do the math behind buy and hold rental real estate. And it's kind of funny because I have a master's in epidemiology, which is very heavy in statistics and math. So <laughs> everybody kind of razzes me and I'm like, hey guys, you know, how you monitor a disease movement is not the same as how you like, <laughs> it's single family or multifamily property, two different, you know, all different sets of terminology here. Um, but we, you know, if anybody knows me, I'm a ready fire aim type person. So, you know, somebody says, hold on to the properties. I'm down that rabbit hole find as many single family properties as I can once I figured out how to get them to cash flow. Yeah. And, you know, we continued, you know, utilizing um, the Bur what's now known as the birth strategy. So flipping these skills that we had acquired and building up buckets of equity, you know, tagging in some cash flow. Yep. And, but then we had hit our next ceiling of achievement. We had our baby girl and um, I was taking care of some family members and I just needed my time back, like truly needed my time back. But what I had created for myself was another job. Real estate, buy and hold real estate, if you are operating it is time leveraged. Yes. <laughs> it's passive income and not passive with your time. So that's when we made, um, decided we were going to scale up through multifamily real estate. But we couldn't decide if we want to do it actively or passively. So you can't decide to do both. <laughs> Don't recommend that necessarily, but I did. I launched down both pathways and um, really appreciated my journey through, you know, working in private equity, but at the same time, what's really helped me unlock true financial freedom, true location independence, freedom of choice, you know, of how I spend my time has been um, taking all of my active income, which is one of those pillars of wealth creation that so many people talk about and moving it into taking those chips off the table and putting it into a passive investment. Love it. It's, this single family, like you guys are doing the Burr method, the single family, I did the same thing. And I hear so many people that like, there's so many people that have, and a lot of them like their jobs. They like their jobs. They got these, you know, they got a family, they, all this. And then they do exactly what you and I both did is, is they buy all these single family homes. They think it's passive income. It's going to be passive income. It's going to be great. And all of a sudden they realize they got this second job. Um, and they're going, this isn't what I wanted to create. And then they're, that's that like uncle at the, you know, family reunion you talk to and they're like, ah, oh, real estate's the worst ever. Tenants, the toilets, the trash. And you're, and you, you like hear that. You're like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to ignore that guy and start buying my own single family houses. And then you realize, no, the tenants, toilets, trash do exist. They um, do. But I mean, even, you know, we have 30 yeah, we got up to like 35 at one point in time, but we can pretty consistently kept 30. Some of them we would hold on to almost like turnkey style mm. with the intention of flipping them out in a year. Um, but we were still doing about 10 flips, you know, in a year or two. But then my husband was like, I want to step away from my job too. And I'm like, wait, yep. a, we didn't do the math for that. That means 80 single family homes. Yeah, Stick a fork to me. No way. Think of <laughs> how many. Yeah, exactly. Think, think of how many tenants, toilets, and trashes now we got. Mm -hmm. um, that's a lot more work. And as you scale, I, I had about a hundred of them. And as you scale, then get 
bigger, you think, oh, it's going to be so much easier. It Some parts do, some parts get harder, but what happens too is the profitability per building actually goes down because now you've just got more expenses and more overhead and things like that. People don't understand that. So now when you're like at making X amount per building at 35, you go up to 80 and you're like, well, I'm not making as much per building. Now I got to get to a hundred. And <laughs> so it's, it's a little different. It keeps on going. Yeah. It keeps on going. Right. Um, so with the, with the change, you, you switched over from single family to, did you sell all those single families? Uh, we, the original of the original 30, they're all gone. We still have, um, six single family units, but, um, they're more midterm rentals now. So Gotcha. Not your B class rentals. These are A class rentals. What, what would you define? What's a midterm rental? So people know. We actually we we write the contracts on a thirty day monthly basis. So gotcha. either thirty like thirty days, maybe six months. Um, and so, who are these people that would be renting these houses? So it could be somebody like corporate that's coming in, you know, that just needs to be in town for their job, move their family while they're going to training or something like that for like a month or two months, maybe three. Um, it could be somebody who's, uh, you know, maybe they had their house burned down and they need like, you know, mm. they're rebuilding or maybe they're building a home. Maybe it's not, you know, something totally positive and not even a disaster, but somebody who just needs a housing solution for a very short term. Uh, but those are, you know, those are, you know, typically our tenants uh, gotcha. in these few properties. And we have one short term rental too. So now you're into... A lot of different asset classes. Um, do you have a, do you have like a favorite? You know, which which one or one you're most excited about today? Maybe let's do this. One you're most excited about today, and one you're kind of maybe the least excited about today. You know, I that's interesting. I'd have to think on that. And I think for me that I I I've recentered on how I want to build my portfolio or continue mm-hmm. to scale my portfolio. And you know, I. I I don't click on the headlines. <laughs> mm. I'm ignoring a lot of the headlines out there yeah. in today's market, but you know, really, I believe, and I guess this is what I'm excited about. I still believe residential real estate, for a variety of reasons, should be the core part of, well, at least my portfolio. And I encourage a lot of people to to look at this lens because everybody needs a roof over their head. Yeah. Um, they need a the, they need a, a you know place to to rest at the end of the day. We're underbuilt by four point three million homes. Now that's just not broadly across the United States. You know, these, you know, are pocketed in certain areas. Some are overbuilt, some are underbuilt. Exactly. Yeah. So we're seeing, we're seeing a lot of those dynamics shift, you know, in, in, in the last, you know, six to nine months, I think, which has been a little jarring for some people, but, um, you know, largely I still really believe in the, the, the core, um, multifamily, single family, you know, I, I, I like now scale, so I'm not doing so many single family properties anymore. Um, but then I have to look outside, like what do, you know, once you have that core portfolio set, now what do what are people gonna be looking for? What is your customer? How can we sell the, a different thing to the same customer, essentially? Self-storage, people love their things. Self-storage is the next common uh, kind of common sense strategy. And then also people love their cars. <laughs> Um, and oftentimes take better care of their cars than they do their homes. And so, um, you know, we're really excited, you know, at passiveinvesting.com for our express car washes. Yeah. It's an interesting, uh, the car wash thing is really interesting to me. 
we don't have car washes like you guys are building in Minnesota until I live in Colorado. Recently. We don't have them here, very many of them here either. So yeah, yeah. So it's it's a little different model. I'm not sure. I see a couple now going in in our area, and it's inter- It'll be interesting to see how well they work uh, in Minnesota. You know, you don't wash your car very often in the winter uh, because it's freaking cold and it freezes. And so you can't really wash it when it's, you know, negative 20 below. Uh, So it'll be interesting to see how that model works. Obviously, where you guys are doing them, I feel like they have been the just just been around longer, I guess, and, and maybe more profitable. But what 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 do you like about car washes? And maybe what's um what's uh, what are some negatives? So let's let's talk about some of the positives that you really like about the car washes and and providing investors good returns. Yeah, well, and so I'll, I'll um you know answer it two different directions. One is a limited partner, like as me, like if I were an investor looking at it, it, it investors today, limited partner investors are still looking for yield, even yeah. when compressed cap rates. You know, uh, you, you know, on I, I still, I'm, a, I think you and I are both part of the same group. We see a lot of uh, deals float through that group, and people are like, it doesn't have enough cash flow, and I'm like, well, because <laughs> that's not the part of the market cycle that we're in, like for multifamily right. and, and oftentimes even self storage. So the, the, you know, this is a unique, unique strategy to still kind of chase some of that yield. It is not a real estate deal. I think that's where a lot of people, you know, have to understand what place does this asset have in their portfolio. It's a cash flowing business mm-hmm. that owns in the way we own it at passiveinvesting.com is we actually own the land, we own the brand, we own the third party management company, we own everything about that. And so um to me, that's the safest way to invest in this type of asset. But it, it really truly is a cash flowing um, business where we own uh, own the underlying real estate and the underlying brand on uh, on all of the assets. What type ever. of cash flow can investors um, potentially uh, see? Yeah, the way we're structuring our deals is we're doing um, you know depending on when somebody's listening to this a ten percent preferred return, but you know cash flow year one during a stabilization year when we're picking up the properties is probably going to be about. Seven percent, you know, on average. Still really good. Still really good. And then we're yeah. probably floating up over that ten percent prof, um, you know, near two, maybe three, depending. Are we acquiring it in the the rush of summer, or you know, in sure. you know more kind of a down season? Are you acquiring um, or are you building or both? We're doing actually both, and okay. so, but our investors actually get to choose which side of the portfolio they want to engage in. Oh, do they want to? And they can do both. Um, you know, and, and like I said, we're not doing any franchise strategies. Um, we're not doing any rent backs on the land. So we truly own the land, own the brand. And that's a bit, the reason why is we're scaling 250 to 300 locations in order to IPO that. Hmm. Um, our backup um, exit strategy would be to roll up and sell to re or another private equity group, which we're already in conversations with to understand what kind of product they're looking for. And one of the biggest things we can solve here beyond good branding, amazing customer service, overlying technology, you know, updating equipment um, for better operational efficiencies. Um, but the, the the biggest problem to solve here is actually the third-party management because there are no third-party management hmm. 
um, companies for express car washes. And we've actually built the first third-party management company. Um, we're focused on managing our own car washes to date. Um, but that is something that, you know, gives us immense, um, just huge power as we, you know, one, yeah. continue to scale, um, but two, like upon, um, upon exit. Yep. A, a good competitive advantage over everybody else. Obviously, if, if you guys are building that kind of that first one. Um, yeah, an interesting business. I, I think obviously it's, it's like you said, it's, I mean, it has the real estate component, right? But it, it relies on the business operations. It's more of a business side of it than it is that real estate. The real estate is still worth money. It can sell in the end, but it relies on operations. Absolutely. Well, and, and that's where we're taking a lot of our technology that we've developed with our self-storage side of the business and layering it onto um, the car wash um, side of the business. And so essentially, you know, you know, instead of somebody renting like a garage, you know, and, and being able to, um, you know, work with our call, call center in order to get access, you know, to the rental and, you know, manipulate their, their contract throughout the, the term of the rental, you know, we're taking that technology and essentially we're putting the barcode on the car and now the car wash knows, okay, what, uh, are they on uh, one, they're on a monthly recurring revenue model. So no single pay they're on a monthly recurring revenue model, but are they on a $25 tier or $45 tier? Do they get, um, you know, a, a wax and a tire shine, like every time they come through or just on every four times they come through hmm. or every two months. Like, so we can hmm. actually program that in to the tunnel and, and, you know, one deliver just amazing customer service. Um, but two, you know, that actually helps, you know, modulate our, ex our expenditures on the back end. Yeah. So there's just yeah. a lot of things, you know, you know, that we can, you know, it's, it's where convenience of, you know, the automatic car washes, you know, the ones attached to the ga gas stations collide with the customer service model that a lot of people experience in a full service model. But now you get both of those worlds in under five minutes. Yeah, I'm so used to the gas station model. I mean, I feel like that's only the, the, the main, mainly the thing around here in, in Minnesota. It's like it's the, the gas station model you go through, and it just does. Um, but I, I, we, we were actually in Montana and at one of those car washes that kind of the style that you guys are talking about. I was like, this is amazing, and I can see how this business is profitable. It really serves everybody and they had the free vacuums and the whole works on this. And I'm just like, man, I got to dig in a little bit more to this model and to see what it looks like. Cause it's very interesting. What are, uh, what's a, what's a con or two? I'm sure there's, there's a few things that maybe are difficult with these. What, what are some cons? Well, I mean, I wouldn't call it a con. I think it's just, you know, people need to understand that um, two things, one, you know, with the cash flow, it's seasonal. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, even in the Southeast and the East, um, you know, with people on monthly recurring revenue models, um, you still are going to get probably see a, a little bit of dip in cash flow, um, you know, into the winter months. And uh, so there's just that it, it doesn't necessarily it means it impacts distributions, you know, really depends on how somebody is um, managing the cash flow of the asset. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, especially in the first year, it, it could, you know, mean, you know, if you're closing on an express car wash in November, the cash flow, it's going to look like really low cash flow when you're closing. Whereas if you closed on the same car wash in April or May, cash flows will look entirely different. 
Um, also, you know, because the exit strategy is different. And again, it's not a con. I think just somebody, you know, you know, a, a limited partner needs to understand how this fits in their portfolio. It, the exit, you know, some, for us, what we're trying to do is we're trying to build a large portfolio to do the IPO or a, a large roll-up REIT. We're still targeting that five-year mark. Um, however, uh, you know, you know, maybe we get it done in four, maybe we get it done in six, right? It's the same thing, you know, as buying, you know, investing in a multifamily building or self-storage deal. But I think people, um, you know, have clearly seen that it, there's an ability to exit out of a multifamily building in three years or less. And that's because of the recent market that we've just been through. So I think it's, right. it's easy for people to wrap their heads around. And it doesn't necessarily mean that going forward, that operators will be able to exit out in three years or less. Yeah. I actually yeah. promise that. I don't think that's going to happen yeah. for a while. Do you think that matters though? Do you think investors have an appetite for holding properties for seven, 10 years or more? Do you think there there's a an investor appetite for that? Do you guys offer anything like that? Well, so we currently don't. And I'll tell you why, because we're performing cost segregation analyses on all of our properties and accelerating as many losses as we can to the first few years of the project. Yep. And when you perform that cost seg, you're, you're essentially gathering up generally anything in 20 years or less that could depreciate. You're taking it over five years. Right. And then we have the bonus depreciation rules where, you know, this year, you know, in 2023, we can take 80% of that accelerated loss mm -hmm. in year one. Forward it. So, yep. right. And okay. Next year, it's going to take down to 16 and then 40 and so on. Okay. But, you know, we still have the accelerated depreciation, which is still very powerful. You know, what happens after five years? Those losses, you know, now you just have the little bit that was, you know, that yep. that's being strung out to 27 and a half years or 39 yep. years. Um, so there is a real, um, I think, and this is something I help our investors really understand is you need to understand where does this tax strategy, you know, the, the depreciation play into your portfolio. You may want to have that clock reset every five years, kick that can down the road every five years um, to continue accruing depreciative losses. But somebody who's like, you know, I'm, I'm good. I don't need any more losses or I don't want to go look for another asset. And, you know, in five years or seven yeah. or 10 they may be more on a, you know, uh, uh, looking for, you know, a longer, an asset that's going to be held longer. I, I typically see that in uh, mobile home parks um, mm. than anything else. Gotcha. Yeah, we a, a decent amount of investors that would like to find assets that they can just put their money into, mm. and not think about it for ten plus years. Uh, but we also get plenty of them that are like, wait a second, I want my money back in three to five years. So there's there's a mix. It's a mix. And it's it's always difficult to, you know, really understand what's what's maybe best for the investors. But I do like how you pointed out that there's definitely big tax savings that can happen those first, you know, first year specifically, but even the first five years, that's where all the tax savings are. And then they kind of just go away. I, I suppose you wouldn't have to do the cost agro bonus depreciation and you could, you could just have it even keel, but that's, 
that's no fun. Who wants to do that? <laughs> well, and I think it, it, it maybe gives a little bit of insight. If somebody truly understands all the different levers they can pull in real estate and they go in eyes wide open and say, yes, I need the losses. No, I don't need the losses. You know, they fall in one of those two camps. I would imagine it gives a good insight of where they're at in their wealth building journey. Yeah. Somebody's still in the accumulation phase. Uh, you know, I, I would have a question for them. Like, you know, why, why pigeonhole yourself in an asset for seven to 10 years and, and not be using the accelerated depreciative loss rules? Um, you know, whereas I can see somebody who's like retired and just needs a place to park money and, you know, they don't want to look for an asset like every three to five years. They, yeah, it's a hundred percent. It's definitely where you are at in, in life too, on your investing strategy. Um, I was talking to my daughter the other day about, you know, if we can double your money every five years, what would your thousand dollars turn into in 50 years? She's 50 years. It's so long. I'm like, you're going to be 63. That's it. That's <laughs> super old. But anyways, regardless, we went through the math and I'm like, look, you can be a millionaire by that time, just with that first, you know, I think it was, maybe it was $1,200 or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. Um, do, has you she gotta keep on you moving. to pay the doubling the pennies every two days. My daughter just tried that. On <laughs> I'm not doubling your pennies. I'm not <laughs> no. doubling your pennies at all. <laughs> I'll do it for three days. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, My husband's like, why not? I'm like, do the math behind yeah, that. Do, do the math way. quick on that one. It adds up pretty quick. Doubling money is amazing. Well, all of a sudden it, it goes really slow. And that's the thing that the investors have to understand. And I tell people this too, because I get a lot of people that want to, you know, quit their job and figure it out. I'm like, look, the first five years is going to be nothing. It, it, it's a really, you're not going to feel like it's even made a dent, but then that asset sells. And then, and then all of a sudden you've got double the money potentially, right. If things go well and and that 50 turns into a hundred and then all of a sudden that hundred turns into two. And now when the two turns into four, that's a pretty big jump. And the four turns in, wow. And now we start to talk. So it's not the first time. It's not the really the, even the second time, but by the time we get to that third, fourth, fifth time, wow. Now we're talking some big returns. That's the power. And so it's, it's patient money is really key for investors. It's, it's not thinking that the, Hey, we're going to invest in this real estate deal. And we're going to become a millionaire overnight with 50 grand. It's just not going to happen. But you can become a really a millionaire slowly if you do it right. Mm -hmm. It's not timing the market, it's time in the market, right? Like, <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of that, what are you guys doing today with the market shift? Like, what's your thought? We talk about, you just said it's not time in the market or not timing the market, it's time in the market. But now we got this market dynamic that we got high interest rates, we got banks that are going under we got an economy i mean everybody keeps saying we're going to be in this big recession uh some people think it's worse than others and and so on and so there's a lot of uncertainty there's uh talk about commercial real estate crashing or who you know whatever there's a lot of talk out there so what's your thought in today's market what does a prudent investor need to be doing yeah, I had the pleasure of watching um, Johnny Chang. He's the one in the lead economists at Marcus and Millichamp talk yeah. at a conference back in March. And, you know, he brought up a really good, you know, several good points of, you know, that, it, and mind you, this, we had heard rumblings about 
signature in um, SVB. Like that happened during this conference, but this talk happened the morning that all this was going down. Oh, wow. So by later that <laughs> afternoon, we're like, where's Johnny? Does he still think the same thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Can we ask him again? Come on, let's yeah. uh, um, But But I mean, the fundamentals, just think about it. Um, you know, we have a lot of onshoring and reshoring of jobs. Um, especially if we're talking about industrial office space um, and residential, these jobs are coming back. You know, we're already underbuilt by 4.3 million, you know, homes currently. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we just can't provide housing to all these jobs that are being reshored back into the area. And, and we can't reshore them pass, fast enough. I think we need to, ideally we should be reshoring a half a million jobs a year. And if we can get 250 back right now, 250k back right now and that's like the probably the the biggest push we can make yeah. um still not like completely throw everything out of whack um then we've got like the the collision and the millennials and the boomers happening right now the millennials are um they're they're building they're making their first homes right and, and when i say making their homes they're getting married they're having kids yep. um they're no longer going to be living in the urban cores they're going to push out to the suburban suburban cores and those businesses that have been serving them are probably going to be following them and so i think we're going to see huge expansion now it's not going to be in every market this isn't you can't just look at whatever market you're in and you're and this is going to happen in your back backyard yeah like um certain certain you know it might work really well for denver colorado and like towns in the southeast but we're seeing you know some towns in, in california a big exodus right so we're seeing you know, you know the sh the shifting of where these people are living yep. um we've got boomers competing for the same houses they're downsizing <laughs> and they're more likely to rent too because if they can't purchase as well or they don't you know, want to make that this... big purchase a lot of times, right? They sold their house that they've been in for for how long, and they're like, "I'm not gonna, we're not gonna purchase right now. Like, let's just rent for who knows how long, maybe the rest of their lives, but they're gonna rent for a while." Yeah, I just uh, a good friend of mine, like um, her, uh, her husband's dad had been living with them, and they were trying to find a rental here in, in Boulder, Colorado. And he's um, in his 60s and they were like, they just finally scratched their head and they were like, wait a second, and he can go into an assisted living. Not that he needed that, but he was just like, wait a second, for the same rent that he would be paying for a single person flat, he could move into an assisted living uh, retirement community. And now um, maybe just $100 more a month that he had all of his meals cooked, he gets a housekeeper. <laughs> it was just like living the life. And I'm like, why not? Yeah. Um, but the other thing that's happening is we're going to see this massive wealth transfer transfer. Now we've been talking about this wealth transfer from boomers to millennials for a number of years, but originally just two years ago, this wealth transfer was projected to be $6.3 trillion. Now it's estimated to be 84 trillion. Okay. So we have this massive transfer, but all that capital needs a place to invest. So, and, you know, even if just half of it went into like the stock market, we've got another half of it, you know, that's going to, you know, continue to, to push transactions, um, you know, in, in other asset classes, real estate included. So th those are some things there that I, you know, you know, uh, I don't go into this with rose colored glasses, um, but those are things that kind of have my eye on to be like, yeah, I mean, 
we're, ha we're, we're, we're having some tough times right now, but you know, don't let the, the tail wag the dog. There's still a lot of fundamentals in our favor for real estate. Now, I don't think it's so much like commercial real estate globally come crashing down. I think it's, we've had, um, you know, bad money going into some of these assets. I think those assets are going to be challenged. I mean, we, um, I don't hear this talked about a whole lot right now. And, and, and so I think people, investors got savvy that if they invested in an asset that had floating rate debt, they should look for that floating rate debt to have an interest rate cap. Okay. Well, that cap, say it's a five, um, uh, you know, um, I'm just going to throw out random numbers here, but say it was an $80 million building. That cap a year and a half ago probably cost $100,000. That same cap today is going to cost $3.4 million. So if you're in a value add strategy where that person either has to sell to somebody else or refinance out of a short term bridge loan, that what's going, what are they doing with the interest rate cap? Because the bank is going to still require the cap, but the cap's no longer $100,000, right. it's $3.4 million. Right. And so I think that is good where we're going to feel the pinch in commercial real estate. Now, what am I doing personally? I'm still, you know, I'm looking at assets. I'm looking at assets that adhere to the seven pillars of wealth. They preserve capital, they cash flow now today in today's market, right now with everything going on, have good solid plans for equity growth. They have amazing tax benefits associated with it. They have smart use of leverage because leverage can cut, cut both directions and we're gonna see that soon. Um, and they, they're inflation hedging and then, uh, they, they're with great operators. Now, if you if you're the operator, you got to know your stuff. If you're investing with other operators, it has to be somebody that has knowledge, expertise, a track record, the ability to to perform all aspects of that transaction, the due diligence, the underwriting, um, the operations, and you know they have to be able to find get good leverage on the deal. I mean, because somebody can get a good deal, but they don't have the bank sheet the balance sheet to acquire good debt on the property. It doesn't matter how great the deal is. I mean, the debt right now will make it. And then be able to operate that deal, um, have a team in place to operate that deal. So those are the seven pillars that I like yeah. look for. And Love it. every asset has to have all seven for me right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It has to check the boxes. I think you're you're right on. I mean, there's a lot of talk about the the debt that's out there and what's going to happen with it. That's going to be very interesting to see. It, it what's interesting to me is a couple things. First of all, it's that there's certainly a lot of debt out there right now that is at risk. But uh, how much of that debt will the risk actually get to the point where it's no longer serviceable? Right the 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 lender has to foreclose or you know, coming into receivership or, or people. So, so there's that. So there's the foreclosure. Of course, that's the real distress, right? That that's going to cause a lot of havoc on the market, but how much money is in the waiting, right? Just, just saying, Hey, we're going to rescue you. We're going to take this over. Nobody will even know about this for very few people, right? It's not going to come public. They're just going to take it over and and all, you might be kicked out of the GP and some of the LPs might lose some money, but you know, it just kind of, goes there. It's it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. The other thing that happens is when things get a little bit rocky, uh, even though there's a lot of capital, the capital gets really scared sometimes. And so even though we say there's all this rescue capital out there, is it willing to rescue if things get dicey? That So it's all going to be interesting to see how it plays out. I can't predict the future. I wish I could, 
well, you and I would be a lot more wealthy if we could predict the future, but I just know that it'll be um, interesting to watch. I think the next probably 24 months to see what happens um, in, in real estate in general. But I agree. I mean, your points made earlier are very, uh, like uh, very sound. Uh, look, there's a big wealth transfer. There, there's, uh, especially for housing, there's huge need for housing. Uh, none of this stuff is going away. So if you can hit your seven pillars that you mentioned. That's we started today. To yeah. 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 You can hit your seven pillars that you mentioned. You're doing great. Um, so, so Whitney, uh, I got, we got to wrap up. I got a couple more questions before we wrap. Uh, what's a favorite book that you can re recommend to our listeners? Um, I still like subscribe by, um, the one thing from Jay Papazon and, mm, uh, Gary Keller. It's a, it's a book I read every year. Uh, it just, you know, it's not, it's just one that I think everybody should not just read once or twice, honestly, but, you know, revisit and make sure that you're, you know, you know, creating that vision for yourself that you are um, putting the time blocks in place to do your most important work first. And, you know, you know, we talk about wealth creation, you know, focusing on, you know, you know, those experiences that you want to create in your life and with your family. Uh, and yeah. to me, that's true, true wealth, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, how do you like to give back? So I give back a lot, um, you know, with my child, um, she's at home. Uh, she does her education at home. And I, I figure if I can like pour as much of myself into her as I possibly can, I mean, it's going to be exponential of what she does in the world. Um, but also mm -hmm. I give back to um, my listeners uh, with the Passive Investing Made Simple show and um, also with my work at Ashwell. Love it. Love it. Um, what's a mistake that you've made and how have you learned from it? Oh, um, well, in the investing world, <laughs> how many mistakes can we go through? No, just, yeah, kidding. just one. Um, just one, right? <laughs> um, so, you know, I think when I got started getting into passive investing, I thought I um, you know, because we had all this cash built up, you know, with our flipping and everything, I was like, I got to get all invested now. Well, you know, again, that ready fire aim mentality. I was like, I got to get it all deployed this year. And, um, I started, I, I went into a couple of deals where it, I trusted the people that were already in the deal, but I didn't know the operator thoroughly. And I didn't, honestly, I lacked the skills at that point in time to underwrite the operator appropriately. And I, I, I got enamored with the numbers, like what a lot of passive investors do. They, oh, were like, yeah. they look at the numbers and they're like, oh, I kind of like the market. And then, you know, they're like, okay, let me invest. And I'm like, wait, they haven't asked one question about who we are at passiveinvesting.com. And I ask him, I was like, well, what do you like about the market? And then I, you know, either I figure out they've done their homework or not. Right. And then I'm like, well, let me tell you about how we operate here, you know, just so they can really, you know, kind of get to understand who we are and know, love and trust us. But yep. that that was a skill that I had to learn the hard way. Yeah, it's uh, getting enamored by the numbers. I see, I hear I hear it from investors quite a bit like, oh, yeah, I got it. I'm looking at another deal. They got really attractive numbers. Okay, Sounds good. You know. I could make my numbers look really attractive too, if you'd like me to, 
<laughs> you know. Just requires a computer or a typewriter. That's it. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Uh, all right. So last question. What are your three pillars of wealth creation? Uh, so, you know, just having run through the seven pillars already on like kind of mm -hmm. how I evaluate my deals um, on, on broad strokes. Um, you know, I think for me, I sit down and I ask myself three questions minimally once a year, if not, you know, biannual now they're like what do you want why do you want it and who do you have to become to get it like what for me to get to the next evolution of my portfolio growth or personal growth I need to fully understand what do I want why do I want why am I going after this and then um what what do I who do I have to become like what are the mindset skills and networks I need to have in place in order to achieve that because that's constantly changing yeah I love that yeah I mean you should be looking at that, like you said, like minimum once a year, but maybe even more, you know, what do you want? Why? Why do you really want that? And it might end up finding out that that's not really what you want once you go through that part process. But then, and then who do you need to become? Like you, you've, you're always got to be continuing to improve yourself. So who do you need to become to get to there? That's so valuable. So I really appreciate that. Whitney, how can our listeners get in touch with you or learn more about uh, what you got going on? Yeah, definitely. They can reach out to me at passiveinvestingwithwhitney.com. And then there I've got a free ebook for everybody uh, about how to get into passive investing, uh, you know, real estate. And then also they can get access to my calendar there as well. Love it. Whitney, really appreciate it. Uh, we'll put that all in the show notes. Appreciate you and the time you've been able to spend. Have a fantastic rest of the day. Awesome. You too. Thanks, Todd. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I appreciate you being a loyal listener. Say, I would love to have you go on to our Facebook page and subscribe. Uh, give us a thumbs up. Go on to iTunes or wherever you listen and give us a rating and review. Don't forget to subscribe. Your rating review just helps us push this out to more and more people and continue to grow our audience and hopefully positively affect a ton of people out there that really need this and, and want this. So, uh, the other thing I've got for you is a free ebook on my website. So, go on to venturedproperties.com, venturedproperties.com and download our free ebook on real estate and on syndication. And I've got some data points in there, some really good stuff for you. So I'd love to have you take a look at that. It's free. I'm not expecting anything from it. Uh, and also look, if you want some help in multifamily, want some help learning, growing, getting your business off the ground, I would love to talk to you about what it would look like, uh, to work with me potentially and see if that's a good fit. So you can go up to coachwithdex.com and check that out. And, uh, we can definitely have a, uh, a call. Thanks a lot for listening. You make it a fantastic rest of the day. I'll catch you on the next episode.